right, all right, all right. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Circuit Clouds podcast, the official podcast of United League Baseball, purveyors of fine fake baseball since 1951 or 2003, depending on who you're asking. I am Lance Mueller, and I am here with Glenn Reed. Hello. Uh, we have a special guest with us today. Uh, one of our founding general managers and the current manager of the Cleveland Barons, Charlie Qualls, on the line with us. I really am special, aren't I? Uh, in many, <laughs> many ways, Charlie. So many ways you're special. And as usual, our our godfather of sorts, the commissioner, and also one of the founding members, uh, Timothy Smith. Kamish, what are we covering in this episode? We thought we would do our first episode looking at the history of the league. So we're going to talk a little about the origin of the league and take a look at the inaugural draft way back in 1951. But before we do that, we thought we would do a little news of the league. Of uh, It's May 16th, 1977. We're about a quarter of the way through the 77th season. It's already been... Uh, Pretty eventful, a lot of stuff's going on. So three main stories we're going to talk about. The big Russell's trade between uh, Boston and Cleveland. Glenn's going to talk a little bit about the shakeup in the West with St. Louis and Denver at the top of the West Division. And then I will take a look at Manhattan's epic start. All right. That sounds fantastic. So as you said, since we have the two participants in this crazy, crazy mega trade here with us tonight, um... Let's get them to talk to us a little bit about uh, how that trade came about, what the thought process was behind it, like just sort of, you know, give us a rundown of like how that thing happened because it is insane, that trade. Glenn, why don't you start us off? Tell us a little bit about... No, 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 no. We got to start with Charlie. Charlie. He's the one who (laughs) who traded away the consensus best starter in all the right, that's, that's true. So, I believe the guy was picked yeah. to be Cy Young by all three of us in the, our right, initial. Right. Yeah. So okay. All right. You're look. right. You're right. All right. Charlie, right. what the hell well, were you doing? I don't know. I I talked to a couple people about trading them, and it just came to the realization that there was nothing, nothing you could give me to part with him. Even though, like, he's got a substandard offense behind him. Even if he wins 25 games, we'll be lucky to crack 500. You know, so what's the point of having this guy? And it would take a few years to build up anything around him. And by then, he, he's going to want $10 million. So, I don't know. But I still, I, I, all that aside, I just thought, man, there's no way I could trade this guy. What could I possibly get in return? And I was, I think I was just chatting with Glenn about that. And he just said, all right, well, <laughs> I, got, I got an idea. He just threw a bunch of names out. And I said... Dang, I, I've got an instant farm system. It was like the first, or the number one or number two farm system. And he traded me like five of those six top guys. It's like I, I couldn't I couldn't say no. no. Right? Anyone? Anyone? <laughs> I mean, you, 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 yeah, you're definitely, I mean, you have, you're right. It's an instant farm system. I mean, you, you, I mean, also, you also, you know, got a couple or got a piece that you then flipped to get, um, uh, Lou Whitaker also um, to yeah. add to that farm system. I mean, if if those guys all mature at the same time and mature well, and I mean, you have you have an instant an instant contender, young instant contending team. I'd say like in their maybe early eighties. It's crazy. And so you know, my thinking too is 
I'll probably get a fairly decent draft pick. Maybe I can add another pitcher or, you know, another piece. I, I was thinking it's going to take three or four seasons to try even build anything up. And now it's like, dang, it could happen fast. You would have done the trade? Me personally? Yeah. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> um, I mean, if I had the pieces that you had and I was yeah. talking, talking to Glenn, um, yeah. yeah, he probably would have talked me into it somehow or another. <laughs> yeah, he, Come didn't, on. he didn't he didn't have to talk me into it i I still don't know why he did it yeah i, I, I know, know. I was, I, right i i don't know I'll, just to jump in here when i when i first heard about it i was like oh come on man you, there's no way you sh- there's no way you can possibly trade away the best starter how old is russell he's like 26 27 just turned 27 27 oh it's the 27th birthday that's right yep. the yep. trade was on his 27th birthday but then but then the more i looked at it, it's like yeah i don't re- i'm looking at the minor league system rankings now and cleveland is number one by the way cleveland was not number one until the whitaker pick after the whitaker pick they leaped frog they were just behind detroit and then when you when you traded for whitaker it, you bumped up to number one i don't remember exactly where you were at the beginning of the season i want to say it was like 12th or maybe 11th or something so yeah so instant six or seven or eight or ten pieces yeah. that will end up being on a major league roster within two years and the first thing i thought is man man talk about like all your eggs in one basket for for uh for boston right like one snapped ligament and this whole trade is for not. <laughs> Don't jinx it, bro. I mean, it's <laughs> not funny. But is it? Re- I mean, is are, are there it... any? Uh, mm, I don't are there know. any legends that died when they were twenty-seven? I'm just trying to remember. <laughs> I mean, besides Buddy Holly, and, and Buddy Holly, Cobain. Jimi Hendrix, and uh, Janis Joplin, or... and uh, yeah, Buddy but... Holly. Buddy Holly couldn't hit a curveball, so Chris Cornell also could not fly a plane. That's true. Or could he throw a curveball? That's all I care. <clears throat> I mean, I don't know. I mean, he, I mean, yeah, I suppose if something terrible happens to Russell, it's it seems all for naught. But I mean, if you look at the other pieces in that trade, I mean, you know, May at catcher, Molnix, Matt. I mean, there's some nice, yeah, yeah. you know, pieces that even if Rick Russell for somehow implodes, which is highly unlikely, unless you know, so he's got to keep him away from the buffet. But I mean, <laughs> otherwise, you know. I, I don't know. It's it wouldn't turn out to be the worst trade ever if something terrible would happen to Big Daddy. I don't think. No, yeah, we should we should let Glenn get in here in a second. But I just I want to throw in one comment before we kick it over to Glenn, and that's the one thing that made this whole trade possible was the fact that Glenn amassed like you know twenty three first round picks. Right. right? He, he <laughs> like basically everyone you traded like Poole, Soto. Uh, Parish, all those guys are first round picks, right? So that you would never yep. have been able to pull this trade off had you not yep. acquired all these top prospects in the first, yep. you know, the first uh, ten or eleven picks of the first round. So, so Glenn, what are, yep. what were your thoughts? Like, what what? Obviously, you you coveted Russell having that Russell Bly Levin one two punch um, instantly Dude, put you. Yes. Um, but yes, were there, were there, I mean, come were on, there bro. Any... big freaking daddy, dude. I mean, come on. He is the number one starter period. 27 years old under control for like five more years. Did you have any, uh, second thoughts about basically trading away your entire farm system? No. And, and did you, did you keep any prospects at all? Like, so the reason why I thought it made sense is because even though I traded like essentially 14 legitimate in some cases awesome i mean i think soto no joke is an incredible i mean he's a potentially incredible player right 
So I didn't want to get rid of Soto. I didn't want to get rid of Andahar. I mean, dude, I love Andahar, right? But he's not ready now. And because he is a prospect, there's still development risk, right? And so and so I, I just didn't know versus I could get an absolute I mean, dude, he's he's the best again, best player in the league at twenty seven years old. So so number one. So so to me it was just like, dude. Qual's out, balls out. Like I'm, I'm going nuts. That's not the first time I've heard that. Qual's <laughs> out, balls out. Dude, that's the words to live by, bro. Let, let, let me so, back. Let me back up here though, because you said like he, he's he's not ready now. Who'd you say that? Andahar, Soto. They're Andahar. not ready now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking yeah, at yeah. your team history. You won 50 games in 1975. You won 65 games last year. You were 26 games out of first place. So yes. you're saying that you're suddenly going from 26 games out of first place last year with the 65 and 91 record and you suddenly decide on May 16th that at with a 15 and 26 record 16 and a half games out I should note hang on that, that okay, you're going yeah, that, that you you're switching to win now it's yeah go ahead Lance. I mean it's Glenn I mean it's like the opportunity presented itself to him he's like he's not <laughs> going to say no he's not going to say no yes. to that in fact I I'm kind of curious that if if some of these other dudes weren't in the mix like, because I know we all know how much you covet Russell. Um, like, yep. how many how many guys could have been subtracted from that list, and you would then you still would have made the deal? Well, that's just it. So the only way how it makes sense, and to answer Tim's question is, so again, I mean, go back to we just talked about this inaugural draft and how important up the middle is, right? So well, I, actually, Charlie... technically, we're going to talk about it, but yes. Okay. So okay. So. <laughs> In a preview of a future conversation, we'll be talking about the inaugural <laughs> draft and how important up the middle defense is. And so Qualzy comes through. I mean, dude, Qualzy's teams are so good defensively. And I got to pick the two best defensive players off his team. Right? I mean, thank you, Charlie, dude. Maddox is a 10 yeah. 10 center fielder, dude. You guys know. We've been playing fake baseball together for 30 years. You guys know, dude. To me, there's nothing more important than a 10 range 10 arm center fielder and i got the only one in the game and guess what milt may nine uh, whatever 10 10 or 9 9 catcher right so i mean to me dude that those guys i i mean i just got my up the middle defense i have foley who's a nine so now i can go 10 9 10 up the middle right so i'm just glad i got rennie's to net before you did then Exactly, dude. I would have thrown an, I don't know what other prospects I had left, dude. But I would have been any, you know, just to get that guy. But the other thing that made it sort of possible, or that like I had to do it, no ifs, ands, or buts. I, I mean, I already would have done it for for Russell. But once I, I tried, and Lance, you know, I tried to trade for the number four pick like so bad because yeah. I wanted Mullenix yeah. so freaking bad, right? But, dude, once you got him, you're like, dude, I'm never trading him to you. So the second that you traded him to Qualzy, I was like, dude, there's got to be a way. And I started, like, pondering, like, what could I do and, like, how many prospects do I need to accumulate and stuff. And then, again, so once you get a chance to, like, get Russell and Mullenix and my up the middle, I get the spine on my team. Dude, I would have given, again, my whole farm system for that. And, and, you, and you did. And, indeed, I did, yeah. And, and can I just say, too, Again, we've been playing fake baseball for 30 years together, right? So um, when I'm making trades, I'm not trying to like, oh, I'm going to screw this guy over or this guy's going to screw me over. I want to give good value, right? So right. I want to get the best player, but I want to give Qualzy 
dude, take the best farm system. Go nuts, right? But by the way, thank you for, you know, giving me a spine of the team and the best starting pitcher, right? It's like, so to me, it was like, I mean, honestly, it's like everybody wins, right? Yeah, I I, I mean, that's how I think. No, I'm like, I'm giving you a hard time, but I think, I think you're right. I do. I, I, the more I look at it, it's like, yeah, it does make sense for both teams. Um, I, I'm just stunned. I don't think we've ever seen a team go from basically an average age of 38 in a completely bare cupboard in the minors <laughs> to, yes. to to the number one, you know, the number one farm system in literally like in game time, it was 24 hours, in right? It was like May yeah, yeah, 16th. Exactly, yeah. May 16th, it's like a big bang. It's like, boom. It's like all of a sudden we have like, you went from a geriatric ward to like, uh, you know, the, 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 the newborn nursery of the league. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, on the flip side of that is it also had a team that I think we all picked pretty close to finishing the very, very bottom of the uh, of the league, at least certainly the bottom of the East. Now, I mean, if we were to mm-hmm. evaluate that team now, I'd say that team's making the playoffs. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I mean he's, had a, he's had a bad start, so he's got to overcome that bad start. Right, right. But, no, they definitely, they've definitely got a shot, yeah. I def, I def, they'll definitely I, they should go over 500 the rest of the way um, it, it's gonna it, it's interesting because you know like I said 16 and a half games back they, they only have to finish fourth out of 14 I, I to your point right I don't need to I only need to finish fourth right so I mean I am I think I'm, I don't have the wild card standing in front of me but I think I'm 10 games out of the wild card and again like if I don't make so I'm gonna give it a shot this year but I've hedged I've kept my first round pick. I kept my second round pick, right? So if I don't make it, I still have draft picks for next year. But again, the trade's not just about this year. The whole point of the trade is Russell's 27, dude. Russell is 20 freaking seven years old. And I'm going to try again for three more years, right? But yeah, Yeah. but I do, I I do honestly believe I could uh, make up some ground here and, and have a shot at this season. I mean, basically I have to make up 10 games over three quarters of the season, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, so looking, we'll just I'm looking right now. Uh, I'm looking at the wild card standings you're, right now. You're eight. You're eight and a half, which is which is not that bad. Okay, eight and a half. And can I point out one more thing, which we can talk about when we talk about the standings, dude? My team is not as bad as they actually look. I think I'm dead even in runs scored and runs allowed. I'm like my run differential is zero, but yet my record is whatever it is, like ten games under five hundred, which is ridiculous, right? So I don't think my team's actually as bad as it looks. And that's before making the trade, right? So I kind of feel like if you get any bit of reversion there, and then again, strong spine, add Russell. I don't know. I mean, at least I should be able to make it interesting this year. And then I get off season to figure it out and make a run next year. Yeah. That's my theory. Yeah. Charlie, yeah. you got any thoughts? You got any other thoughts on making this trade? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's basically the opposite. It's like I had these awesome guys. There's no – no way to get any kind of supporting cast. I, I mean, I don't have a ton of cap space. I don't have draft picks. You know, it's like I got no way to help these guys. So they're just floundering at this point. So just, yeah, the opportunity to just rebuild from scratch. So it's like, all right, what the heck? So, yeah, I had to jump on it. I think I didn't think I really had much of a choice. You know, if I think I got four legitimate bats out of the deal. And a couple of good starters that, you know, just where I can just add a few more pieces and hopefully have a contender. It came out of nowhere. It was, uh, 
I've been doing like just talks for one or two guys here and there, but it's like wasn't really going to help me. So when this came along, it's like I'm jumping at it. Makes sense. And I'm not, I don't have the same hangups I, I, about defense that I used to. I had I had to let that go because I built a team. I've at one point of like nine and ten guys the whole way. Yeah. It's like yep. And and plus dominant starting pitching, but it's like nobody hit a lick, so it, it didn't really matter. Yeah. All right. Yep. All right. So I mean that uh, that gives us some uh, definitely an in depth uh, look. It's nice to have uh, the participants here um, to talk through it. I mean, this is by far just to put a, a little note on the end of it. This is by far the biggest just in body count trade we have ever had in the United League. Um, I poked through all the uh, the uh, the trade page on the total UL, and I came up with uh, 17 moving parts as the biggest one before that, and that was 12 players and five draft picks. And oddly enough, it involved these two guys. It was Cleveland, <laughs> Cleveland, Cleveland and Atlanta in 1969. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, 12, 12 live bodies. So, I mean, this this more than doubles that and then five picks were involved as well but it's just this is just a crazy trade i don't know we'll ever we'll ever quite see one like it again now you know it's still to be seen just how impactful it is as far as going forward but just as like a seismic bomb going off for the rest of the people in the league yeah, yeah like damn dude i i think it helps too that it's it's pretend <laughs> it's like i was just thinking <laughs> the logistical nightmare of swapping out fourteen guys and having them in a in another city tomorrow, you know, it's like Dude, that's just awesome. logistics of that. Try to wrap your head around that. <laughs> yeah, I think you mentioned that in your article about uh, it's a nightmare for the travel secretary. Right. Like, yeah, <laughs> like, one of the other big stories in the in the league right now, which is the. Um, flip-flop that's happened in the West with uh, San Francisco with their 10-game losing streak sitting in sixth place. Two teams at the top, St. Louis and Denver, who were like not even in the top three last year. So, uh, Glenn, why don't you talk a bit about uh, kind of the shift of that's happened in the West? And I guess the main question, is this sustainable? Is this just a flash in the pan? Are St. Louis and Denver for real? Or are they just having a, you know, do they have a good couple of weeks? Are they going to drop back down we're going to see la seattle and san francisco kind of rise back to the top again so glenn take it away so dude dude that's an excellent quite okay so because we're trying to do a lightning round let's just hit this kind of quick i mean we have talked about st louis at length i think in the in the preview and you and i talked about st louis a lot in the off season and our argument was huge pythagorean underperformers add offense in particular lefty power because of the park and so Reggie Jackson solves that, and um, Mumphrey in center field gives you that great center field defense. And as a result, it, the team is number one and runs allowed, right? So, so that great up the middle defense, great pitching. But, but even with Reggie, bottom half and runs scored, and now Matlack is out for two months. So, again, the good news is great up the middle defense works for everybody, not just Matlack, but – but I still think ratings are important. And if you subtract like a Cy Young candidate from your rotation, that has to hurt. So, so I do think St. Louis is in jeopardy there. 
For Denver, okay, dude, Denver, number two runs allowed. That has to be down to – well, I mean, it's down to your defense. Uh, best up the middle defense in the league is Denver. And, um, and again, your entire staff of 488 guys. But here again, you lost your ace for the entire season. <laughs> bro, that has to be so sad when you see Koble's name come up on the injured list, bro. Yeah. Um, so, so, so I do think there's risk there. So on the one hand, again, I said in preseason, I thought Denver was awesome and that you could you know, really rise above. But it's hard. going to be hard without your ace. So, um, so, so I do think Denver's at risk as well. However, dude, San Francisco's collapse, I think, is permanent because, I mean, this seems ridiculous to say, you know, whatever I've said that I love the team. I do. But he has had horrible series of downgrades, right? So Munson was wrecked. Rice has taken a downgrade. McAuliffe has been downgraded. His starting rotation has just been a complete disaster. In addition to all these injuries and downgrades, Zisk is injured. Forster's injured. So... I don't know how he's going to recover from all the injuries and downgrades, honestly. So, so he could be permanently impaired. So who does that leave? L.A.? The odd thing about L.A. is, well, number one, I think the Whitaker trade, getting Hooten from Charlie, I think that solves his, his draft right shenanigans where, you know, t- taking, Whitaker, <clears throat> taking Whitaker instead of Bannister, right? So now he's basically reversed that. He's got Hooten, so he solved that problem. Strangely, though, L.A. is bottom half in both runs and runs allowed, but somehow he has a winning record. So if my team is the biggest Pythagorean underperformer, his is the biggest outperformer. So that does put him also at risk, I think. Right. Like Mm -hmm. on the one hand, again, he does have the best ratings. He's added Hooten, so he should have an awesome staff. But once again, and maybe this is Lance's point, um, you know, his ratings mix maybe isn't the right one because – you know, again, the, just the run production isn't as good as you would think for for the ratings his guys have there. Oh, dude, let's give credit to Seattle. Yeah, dude, I was going to mention Seattle, yeah. Dude, you got to give credit to Seattle. So his he's number two in run scored. That does seem to validate the, you know, high contact, high average. And this is the thing Lance is always talking about, high contact, yeah. high average mm-hmm. doubles and don't worry about the homers. So that is working for him. Yeah, and, um, and, and his pitching, his starting pitching is totally underperforming right now. So as soon as like Mon- yeah, Montefusco for fifty, he's got Randy Jones is not doing well. So I think uh yeah, I was actually talking to Eric about this as well. I think if, if once his pitching kind of locks in, uh Seattle's a team I think could make a really they could shoot up the standings really quick. Yeah, I think where is he? He's uh twenty three nights. So yeah, he's yeah. So he's right there. He's he's only yeah, four and a half exactly. back. He's like exactly, right in the mix. Exactly, yeah. He's right. Yeah, exactly. So then interesting, dude. And we got Lancey on, but Chicago just hasn't ignited. Right. So that's another one. That's, that's, that's hard to understand. If you look at the pitching stats, I mean, Lancey's got the highest ground ball percent. He's given up the fewest homers. Again, that's all consistent with the kind of team he's trying to build. So in a way he built exactly the team he wanted, but again, so far it hasn't translated still early. Right. But but I thought that was interesting. Um, and who else we got? Is that all the teams? Well, Atlanta. But... Atlanta, Atlanta. He's kind of doing what we thought he would do, right? And trying to make trades to get picks or players for the future. So, so and also again, it's it's like super exciting, like to have St. Louis and Denver rocking it, L.A. and San Francisco kind of creaking. Maybe L.A. has got right at the ship now with Hooten. Chicago again. I don't know. Seattle doing great with his approach. So I mean, that's a super fun first part of the year for me. Yeah, it does feel like 
as De- I'm surprised as anyone that Denver's that that high. I thought they would be, you know, they have a shot at 500 this year, and obviously things are still early, but uh, I don't expect Denver to. I could see maybe Denver sustaining it, but I, you know, it's just as probably just as likely, if not more so, that they kind of revert back, especially with the Cobell injury. But um, but I agree. I think it's super exciting to have a division as wide open as that, where literally I think you got like five teams and you can't count Chicago out because they could get hot. You know, he's got, he still has Cepeda. He's got uh, solid uh, starting pitching and, uh, you know, 10 games seems like a lot, but we're, you know, middle of May. It's like super early. So you're really talking about five teams there that I think still in the race. Um, basically anyone could take it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That is uh, a nice take on the, what is right now, the sort of wide open wild, wild west. Uh, Tim, what is going on with Manhattan? What was it? They had a 13-game uh, winning streak the last uh, in the last sim. They just they're just going nuts. Winning percentage right now is 762, which puts them on pace to to shatter the all-time win record, which I think is 115 by was it 1963 Brooklyn? I think so. Uh, there's a couple of records at risk here there's that total win record so we're talking about manhattan possibly posting the greatest season in ul history um and then the other two records that or it's only one record that's at risk but he literally has two batters that could break the home run record of 56 home runs he's got c rob and grieve who are on pace i think they're both on pace to get more than 70 right now they're, they're first and second in the league in home runs with i think it's it's at 19 and 18. So it's a team that's 42 games, and they've already got uh, – they're 1, 2, 3 in home runs, 19, 18, and 15 with, with Ollie Brown. Um, uh, so this is a team that is um, lining up – I know we talked a little bit in the season preview about uh, the possibility of – Manhattan being a dynasty. I, I was talking to Eric Holthouse about this. He's he has his eyes on like the greatest season ever. So that's I think that's def- and you know you win 13 games in a row. It's like why not why not shoot for the yes, why, yeah, why not shoot for the record? You know when's this team gonna lose again? Right. So um, the other thing that he noted that I did not notice until uh, so he's not only did he lock up Tom Grieve and Craig Robinson to to five year. Uh, extended contracts just re-upped ollie brown he signed ollie brown to a five-year extension as well so he's got that guy locked up uh he's a five star uh his current his overall and his potential are both five stars and he's locked up through at least 1981 for 8.8 million a year so he's talking about a core of like three of the premier offensive guys in the league they're all locked up for five years um the big question will be you know, what moves is he going to have to make to uh, create that cap space for these guys? His philosophy the last year or so has been win now. He's trying to like trying to grab as many World Series titles as he can. But now I think the challenge is like, can you build a dynasty and build for the future at the same time? And I think that's I think it's attainable. So loaded with talent, you know, trade off some of these pieces uh, and, and get some new pitching depth, get some some younger guys in there. Dude, the Craig Robb's contract is five and a half, five point six million. So that's super friendly. Tom Greve, five point two million. So I'm not even sure he's going to have any budget stress, frankly. Yeah, I know you're you right. Know what no. I mean, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, ten point eight million. He has two MVPs for ten million combined for the next five. You know, 
I don't think he even has budget troubles, honestly. Yeah. Well, I think he's got a couple of, uh, let's see, uh, is it Carlton? Carlton's going to be a free agent. That guy's making 5.5 right now. Um, Steve Rogers is going to be, well, he's got Steve Rogers locked up too, doesn't he? He's got him locked up for 3.8. Yeah, super cheap. 3.8 million. Yeah, so, like the, yeah. Yeah, so ridiculous. I think, yeah. I think his strategy was basically he's been, uh, he's kind of seen the shenanigans that these players pulled in arbitration of like, you know, asking for three times their market value. So I think his strategy all along is lock these guys up and just avoid arbitration at all costs. Like if if, if there's yep, a guy you want, yep. if you guy, the guys you want to keep, lock them in for, for five or six years early on. And then you don't have to worry about arbitration at all. Um, that also makes your finances a lot more predictable because you don't have the these random Very spikes. Bad, yeah. And you guys have any thoughts on uh, on the Gray Sox? I got nothing, Charlie. <laughs> no, I got nothing. It's crazy. Yeah. I can't remember the last time a team had an eight game lead on May sixteenth. I think it's. I'm sure it's happened before. You think back, like those Brooklyn dynasties. I'm sure we've seen. Brooklyn was probably thirty-two and ten one of those years, right? Um, but it's been a, it's been a long time. There's been so much parity in the league. Uh, and remember, last year we had three teams three teams tied for first in the East, and the team that won the West was like one game above that. So basically, we had four teams clustered around ninety wins. So I think we've become yeah. so accustomed to parity in the league to see this kind of dominance is a little freakish. Yeah, indeed. That's just how good a job he's done. I mean, dude, the guy crushed it. I mean, he's he's acquired, right? Traded for MVPs. I mean, dude, if you can do that, more power to you, you know. And then sign him long term. I mean, he's just done a great job. So, it'll be fun to compete. But again, the major difference, the major major difference between today and 1960s when it was Brooklyn Chicago like every year, is now you have this wild card factor, right? So. Again, it, it let him run away with the division, but someone behind him can still make it even if he wins the division by 20 games, right? So I, I think it's a very different circumstance to today to Brooklyn, right? Or to, you know, the 60s. Yeah. I mean, I would still make him a favorite in a short series. Don't get me wrong. But I mean, at least he has to go through two rounds. Back then, Brooklyn, Chicago, we only had the one series, right? Yeah. So. I mean, so circumstances are much, much different today. And, and I think for the league, it's good because it keeps it wide open, right? You can have a dynasty team, but three other guys still get to make the playoffs and we get to have two rounds, two shots at him. So I think it's quite, quite a bit different now. I agree. Shall we shift gears and talk about um, the uh, origins of the league and the uh, inaugural draft? Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's been a, a, a nice look at the goings-on and the, the current uh, situation in the UL. So let's uh, let's get in the Wayback Machine and go back to its beginnings, its very, very beginnings, where it all started. Why are we doing a podcast? That's that's my next question. Yeah. Dude, <laughs> gonna, we'll, question number one. We'll do a whole podcast on why we're doing a podcast. Yeah. It'll be a show about Stop. nothing. All right. Now we have reached the portion of the show where we are going to talk about how the United League got started and also take a look at its initial draft, the thing that set this whole league in motion. So, Tim, do you want to kick us off with this? Absolutely, yes. So we thought we would talk a little bit about the origin of the league and then go into the inaugural draft. Um, and that will set us up for um, a, f a future discussion where we start looking at some of the the early seasons of the league. So this is kind of like, I guess, the first 
episode, first of a series of kind of UL history. I guess we could start on the origins of the league. Like one question I've heard is like, why were there? Why did we have eight teams at the beginning? Because because we're talking about you know major league. Uh, baseball at the time had 16 teams, but we only had eight in the in the UL. I think that harkens back to micro league because every basically every micro league season we ever did up until the the very last years, um, we always had eight teams. So that was kind of like the standard thing was just an eight team league. We also tended to do um, just one league only, like national league. We take the national league and basically the number of teams we had was about half the number there were in real life. So part of it was just like, oh, let's keep doing like what we've always done before, which is kind of like shrink the number of teams. So you've, every team's got, basically got more concentrated talent and whatnot. So that's where that came from. In terms of putting the teams where they were, the, the only surprise was Louisville. Like um, I thought it would be cool to put a team in Louisville. They were, I think they were the last team that was contracted uh, in real life in 1899. Um, so I thought it'd be kind of cool to throw in a team that was not in the major leagues in 1950. So that's where that came from. And then the final point, like the general premise of the league was that uh, the major leagues had gone bankrupt and the United League kind of rose from, from the ashes with these eight new franchises and they inherited some of the ballparks, but the, but the teams themselves were like brand new. And then Obviously, all the major league players were thrown into this uh, this draft pool, um, and then thrown under the new under the new teams. So that's where where and how things got started. That's like the short version of the origin of the league. I do remember distinctly. I don't know if you remember this, Charlie. Uh, you and I sitting. I think we were in a coffee house in Silver Lake with like a notebook um, yep. one afternoon and just jotting down ideas like, "Oh, how should this work?" Like. Um, you know, how should contracts work? And we like scribble down ideas. I don't know if you have any r- reminiscences about that. Uh, no, you nailed it. It was a coffee shop. <laughs> <laughs> right. For, yeah, right I, I, I think it was. Did we, did we have a States League or something before this? Or I think it was after. We were like experimenting with different kind of leagues. Yeah, we did have a States League. Uh, Lance was was big in that because I, I think you picked probably – at least half of the teams we did for that. Yeah, I think that was kind of a trial run where we kind of uh, just to see how this whole online league thing would work because basically for 15 years, all we'd ever done had been, you know, face-to-face, get together, push the button, hold a piece of paper over the keyboard, you know, to to hide the the double steal that everyone knew was coming. Three, button for hit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, it's Bip Roberts. I wonder what he's going to do. (laughs) <laughs> but for hit, <laughs> didn't he have like a four a four fifty batting average or something crazy? Like I was that? gonna say five fifty, bro. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he hit exactly five hundred. Uh, I'll have oh. to go back. I don't remember what year that was, but yeah, and probably the bunt, the bunt yeah. literally worked half the time. <laughs> right, right. I think he bunted four. He bunted four fifty and and actually batted zero fifty. Is how that, is how that worked. If we haven't mentioned before, um, one of our founding uh, uh, GMs, Charlie Qualls, is joining us on this podcast today also. So, welcome to Charlie. All right, let's talk about that inaugural draft, that that place where all of those um, players got thrown and uh, us uh, original GMs. 
uh, picked our teams, uh, came up with strategies, or in some cases like me, no strategy, um, and uh, you know, formed our initial teams. Should mention that we did have a, a, a kind of a lottery at the beginning, and the first pick oh, went right. to Washington. Went to Washington, and not surprisingly, they took Willie Mays. And then uh, Brooklyn took Roy Campanella. So we'll just kind of walk through the first few picks, I guess. And if, if I recall, Brooklyn's manager was Frank Thomas, and he actually wrote up a little bit about his draft strategy. He said something. It was as I read this, it, it struck me how similar it was to Glenn, who eventually took over the team. I guess it was midway through 1952. He basically was talking about a strength up the middle, uh, catcher, shortstop, second and outfield and and building his team to the ball to his ballpark and i'm like whoa that sounds very familiar <laughs> dude that is um, eerily similar so he also said he wanted because it, because they were playing in ebbets field he wanted to have at least one brooklyn dodger kind of uh anchoring the team so he decided campanella would be the would be the one so that was that's where the campy pick came from and then Lance, you took so Robert Roberts went with the third pick. He, I think he was, everything I read, he was far and away the 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 best um, starting pitcher available. And then Lance, you took Don Newcomb yeah. with the fourth pick, which and I think he was fairly young. He was like twenty three at the time. So um, other than Mays, who of course was nineteen, um, he he was one of the younger younger picks, at the first round. But I don't know where you, where we want to go with this. Uh, Glenn, did, what were your what were your thoughts on? Do you have any thoughts on, on the first <laughs> well, round or? You cut off like right before the punchline, which was Mickey McDermott <laughs> going. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're How right. How can you talk about the draft without or talking about the first round without the Mickey McDermott pick, dude? That yeah. is staggering. It, it was staggering. Yeah. So. Uh, Charlie, why don't you talk about that? Because I mean, you were the you you actually wrote one of the actually probably the very first kind of uh, goof article of the whole league was called the wrong Mickey, uh, <laughs> where where you wrote you wrote this whole bit about Mickey Mickey Mantle like he he heard the he heard the name Mickey and he got up and started walking up to the podium. Uh, and then he heard his leg on uh, here his knee on Mickey McDermott's chair, which had been knocked. <laughs> which had been knocked over when the pitcher jumped up to join his new team. <laughs> the Commerce Comet was overheard saying, that's the last and only time you'll get me out, McDermott. <laughs> uh, so yeah, oh that, was, that, that, was, that was good stuff. That was shocking. But I, as I recall, I think he made some pretty good picks after that. I, I think I had the last pick in that. Yes. In that in the first round. And I was shocked because Mantle could have gone first easily. <laughs> You know, it's like, how, how did that happen? So that was pretty cool. But yeah, that was just that. What happened to that guy? What's his name? Mark? Yeah, it was Mark Allen. Mark Allen. Yeah, Mark Allen. Yeah. Yeah. How did Dang. any? So, how did any of us pass up on Mickey Mantle? <laughs> dude, what were we thinking? For like twenty years, dude. Well, you got Maze. I mean, Maze. I understand, and you know, you're going for the best catcher. That's hard to find. So I don't know. Uh, uh, well, I got I got Stan the Man right. So that I mean yeah. that. Probably was not a bad pick. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Ted I, Williams was a first round pick. Yeah, yeah. Ted, Ted Williams, the seventh overall. Like you know, and then even look at the second round. You got Yogi Berra, Ralph Kiner, R Richie Ashburn, Jackie Robinson. Dude, I mean, there were, there were a lot of Robinson, really good dudes. Yeah. There were a lot of really good dudes. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know. Obviously, Mark Allen was kind of like uh, one of the first wild cards in the league. But I was look, looking back at what he'd done, and and if you look at Louisville, the, the Louisville Colonels' records, they were a pretty horrible team in those early years. Uh, but overall, he yeah, he I think he had a good draft. He 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 went he went for youth. That's the thing. Uh, and I think Mer- McDermott was uh, 22. He probably wanted to go for starting pitching. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Newcomb was a swoop. Maybe he would have taken Newcomb and McDermott was the next guy on his list. I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's hard to believe. It's hard to yeah, believe Donald yeah. Newcomb is a swoop. I'm sorry. You know, right, even right. though I picked him, uh, not the best choice, but you know, it is what it is. It's a long time ago. Yeah. And and I know Charlie, I, in reading your, your draft, the little thing you wrote up, your plan all along was to take two starting pitchers. Uh, so you took Spawn, uh, and then the fact that Mickey Mantle was still there at the ninth pick, you're yeah. like, well, you know, that your strategy went out the window right away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the rest was all downhill. Yeah, I don't even think I even paid Dude. attention to ratings that much back then. I, I don't think I caught on to the whole rating system until like 56 or 57 or something. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Like, oh, these guys actually have ratings. I, maybe I should not just not draft the big name guys. But yeah, that's uh, that, that never. That, I mean, Mickey, I guess, and and Mays worked out pretty good, but uh, Spawn didn't. Man, Spawn was average at best. Yeah, I mean, you look at the four pitchers who went in the first round: Roberts, Newcomb, McDermott, Spawn. Uh, like they all did nothing really. I think some of them had some longevity. I, I remember Robin Roberts. I think he pitched a long time, but he was never dominant by any means. Uh, the first guy on the first pitcher taken who did anything was uh, Billy Pierce. Billy Pierce, yeah. The fifth, the, the, the fifth starter taking. I, I I do remember distinctly the New York Gotham's. What was the guy's name? Bish. I remember. Yeah, Gregory Bish. He wanted to pick up veterans, so he got Ted Williams, Jackie Robinson, and Gil Hodges, the first three pick. And so, in, in terms of big names, it was like, damn, that's you know, pretty, pretty awesome. But. I think Williams and Robinson were both like 35 or something. Like they only played a couple of seasons and then they were gone. So I think he was trying to go for a win now strategy, but obviously he didn't, he didn't have enough pitching to sustain that. I don't think. When I look at it on paper, it looks like I had a strategy, which was to, to fill the key positions. I mean, Yogi Berra in the second round, a center fielder, Bobby Thompson in the third round, you know, by the time we got for the first six rounds, I mean, I had up the middle, covered Pee Wee Reese, Bob, Bobby Avila for shorts up and a couple starting pitchers. So, I mean, that seems like a strategy, but I don't remember really necessarily thinking mm-hmm. that at the time. Uh, Charlie, did you, did you come in with a strategy when you were doing this draft? I don't, I, I, honestly, I think it was just uh, at least the first few rounds, like just find the best guys that are available, you know, and then just fill in holes later on. Yeah. I think, think that's what i did i i honestly i mean i can't remember yesterday <laughs> how about you tim did you have uh, a particular... apparently apparently i made i woke up there was, i made a big trade or something <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 so so just to be clear your strategy was to take the best player available until you got to the seventh round and then you took walker cooper right Hey-o. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 I mean, you did get DiMaggio in the ninth round. That was pretty sweet. Of course, it was Dom, but uh, <laughs> hey, but uh, but Dom was good. Oh, you got Earl Torgerson. I mean, that guy was pretty Torgy. awesome. Torgy, wow, Torgy. Oh, yeah, Torgy yeah. was awesome. Yeah, got yeah. him in the tenth round, so that was pretty solid. 
Dang. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was looking at um, the season preview for this year, which was essentially the same thing as a draft review. And I think, Lance, your team was pretty solid up the middle with Yogi Berra, Pee Wee Reese, Bobby Avila, and Bobby, Bobby Thompson. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the only team that was uh, that might have been even slightly better than that was Brooklyn because they had Campy. Vern Stevens, who was a mashing shortstop, that guy hit like 30 home runs a year or something and was a pretty good defender. And then he had Bobby Doerr and Larry Doby. So uh, I don't know, but I mean, if you look at, I mean, uh, look at Washington. I mean, you got Mays, Gil McDougald, Hank Thompson, Billy Goodman. I mean, he drafted a really, yeah. I mean, Joe Joe Adcock in the 11th round. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, like, he he built a really good core up the middle off of those first 10 rounds also. And this raises one thing that came up, though, was like, was Joe Adcock, you know, obviously he ended up being a Hall of Fame candidate, got him in the 11th round. It's almost a philosophical question. Was that really, was that, that that doesn't necessarily make him a swoop, right? Because you're drafting him, and obviously we don't have the ratings in front of us. But um, I feel like that was probably a case. Like Earl Torgerson was the last first baseman drafted before Adcock. I remember at the time Torgerson was the better player. Maybe Adcock was he, he was probably early 20s or something. But I feel like he must have gotten some major rating boosts over the years. Yeah, because I can't imagine that I would have passed him up to yeah. take Eddie Robinson in the ninth round, who ended up immediately i think becoming a, a backup player to somebody i drafted way i think whitey lockman who got drafted like 10 rounds later so right. i can't imagine i would have if if adcock had numbers that seemed like ratings that seemed like they were going to be worthwhile that i would have let him let him go by because i needed a first baseman at that point anyway so Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't know if he was a swoop or not. It's it's hard because you're looking at all these things in hindsight, so it's hard to like really yeah. know who's a swoop and who's not a swoop. Do you have a draft strategy? We haven't really talked about your draft strategy. I think I was looking for pitching, speed, and defense, uh, as far as I remember. So I did take three starters in the. Fr- I took Musial first, and then I took three starters: Pierce, Hutchinson, and Magley. Um. So I think there were only maybe a couple other teams that took three starters that early. And then I got Sam Jethro, sixth round, a speedy, uh, good defensive center fielder. But yeah, then then it was a lot of kind of what Charlie was talking about. Just, you know, I was trying to go for some balance. It's kind of funny that Zoldak, Sam Zoldak, was the, my, the fourth starter I took. He ended up winning the Cy Young that year. I remember Gil Cohn, loved that guy. Good, good defensive yeah, speed. Yeah. Dude, look uh, at your round 16, round 17, putting head jump yeah. and Luber that, bro. Yeah, Willie Jones, that was, I mean, that seems like a swoop, but again, that's in hindsight. Lance was talking about a run on third baseman that looks like that kind of started with round five and six and then to seven, a bunch of third basemen started going. Uh, and I, it looks like putting head Jones was like just sitting there. He was like the next guy on the list after that run. Yeah. Do you want to talk about who we think you know, was the winner of this draft? I mean, is there a winner? I mean, based on the, uh, like, who dominated in those first few years, I think we could say there was a winner, but that's, I don't know. I don't know if that came out of necessarily directly out of this draft or not. What do you think, Tim? The thing that struck me is is kind of the reverse of that. Like, we talked, some of the prompts we set up was, like, who won the draft or who, who had a good draft, but it, then it didn't pan out, right? Because there, there's... You can have a good draft and then just, you know, a combination of injuries or players just not playing to the performance and, and then the results just aren't there. 
Um, and for me, Louisville, the more I look at them, it's like, damn, he did a really, he did do a really good job. You know, he's got Nellie Fox at second base, Richie Ashburn at center field, um, Alvin Dark. You know, maybe he was a little light on the pitching, I guess. But um, Ned Garver was, you know, he, he drafted for youth, which I think was, I think Louisville was the youngest team, which explains why they, you know, they were kind of a losing team out of the gate. But I don't know. They they would be my pick for the the team that drafted well, but just the the team didn't end up playing to performance. And maybe that came down to the way he managed the roster later on, or or you know subsequent trades or things like that. Glenn, do you have any takes on that? I mean, I'm impartial. Right? I wasn't involved in this thing. Right. I mean, to me, it's again, it's awesome to look at because, as you're saying, you can see every team's strategy, or as you say, lack thereof. I, dude, I, I do think the Washington guy, and it's easy to say that because he ended up dominating the first five or six seasons. Um, but I mean, but you can see it right here, right? I mean, the guy goes Willie Mays one, then Jansen. So I basically he alternated, basically out, you know, position player, starting pitcher, position player, starting pitcher, like throughout, right? And mm-hmm. so like he had such a balanced team, and then later, you know, he got like Erskine in the twenty sixth round. And then he just missed, I think, if we have the stats here, actually, I think we can check. I think he was the number one pitching team, and indeed he was, 1951, number one pitching team um, and number four offense. So he finished up 79 and 75. So he was seven games out of first place. And then he used that next season. He drafted Stu Miller in the first round, and that set him off, right? Because, like, uh, he had Gromek and Jansen, Erskine and Miller. I mean, that's yeah. – Four incredible stars, and he just ran the table in the league like for the next three or four seasons in a row. So, I mean, so to me, that guy crushed it. Um, but again, it's fun to look at because you can see, I mean, dude, it's classic quality, dude. Four of his first six guys are pitchers, right? Um, and again, Lancey, your thing was balanced too, right? So, you it's like pitchers are up the middle, pitchers are up the middle the whole way. So, I mean, to me, it's just it's really fun to look at, and then. I guess I would say disappointments back to your thing was like New York. You take Ted Williams, Jackie Robinson, you're drafting like all these like awesome hall of fame dudes. His team performance wasn't ever very good. Right. Yeah. So he flamed out big time. I don't think he was ever over 500. Well, in the season three, he was over 500, but probably by then, Jack was probably Jackie Robinson's last year, right? So, yeah. So, yeah. So he didn't do very, so I don't, I wasn't very impressed with that, or that was just maybe unfortunate or something. But how about you, Charlie? Charlie, you got a take on this initial draft? Honestly, I don't have it in front of me, and I'm hearing everybody else's teams described, and I somehow remember those better than I remember my own team. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, that 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 Washington lineup was awesome. You know, it's like, I, I and then you tell me I drafted what was his name Walker Cooper. Like, yeah, that didn't, that didn't even ring a bell to me. Dude, was he a catcher? Okay, dude, let's just, he was a yeah, catcher. Yeah, 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 catcher. Dude, yes, he was, dude. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, right. So what? So who did I draft? All right, so, so dude, yeah, let's, go, let's go through this. So you, yeah. your, your pitchers, you yeah. took your, you took you had your your four man rotation in the first six rounds. You had Warren Spahn, uh, Eddie Lopat, Bob Lemon, and Mike Garcia. And those guys, remember, Mike Garcia was a guy who was a beast in in real life. Um, so 
really solid starting pitching. The first position player after Mantle was Gus Zerniel, who of course was like that guy was like the home run champion of the league yeah. for for like the first five years, I think, until Kiner passed yeah. him up. Uh, you had Torgi at first base, Eddie Stanky at second, Rizzuto, who I think you eventually traded, Johnny Mize at first base. But I mean, I think you were respectable. Your first, let's see, you're seventy. You were seventh in batting, sixth in pitching that first year, and then improved quite a bit to fifth and second. But you did not have a winning season until oh, scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Oh, 56. We won't talk about 56. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, there you go. You had a winning season in 1958, so it took you a yeah, while. Yeah, see, like, that's that's when I started paying attention to ratings. Like, oh, maybe there's something <laughs> to these things. Uh, that could be it. <laughs> Dude, that's priceless, bro. Yeah, I don't know. The one thing I, I'm with Glenn. I think Washington. If you look at if you look at the guys he took, and if I if I remember back in the kind of like the earliest all UL teams or whatever all stars, what every guy he took ended up being, um, if not like the player of the you know on the all decade team, like Hank Thompson, I think was a perennial all star. You had Adcock in the eleventh round. Sid Gordon was solid. Um, Gil McDougald, like. Basically, everyone he took panned out. So I don't know if that speaks to if that makes it a superior uh, draft strategy or if it was just luck. But um, y- yeah, you look at all these names like Frank. You know, Frank Smith led the league in saves, got him in the ninth round. You know, Gromek. Oh, yeah, right. Look at the ahead of that. Yeah, Gromek. He was a three-time Gromack. All-UL first three seasons. Right. right. Got him in the eighth round. He was yep. his. The, his the third starter he got so yeah I would I would say I know it's I think it's between Washington and Brooklyn and that's you know that's easy to say in hindsight when you look at the you know who the dominant teams were like the first eight or ten years they both had really solid solid drafts was that was that the first draft we ever did with the with the ratings or the the ratings that got really in depth what ratings what do you mean by ratings and ratings as far as like specific the stuff and the movement and the you know it's like I didn't know. Yeah. I, I didn't know anything about ratings. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, no, you're yeah, right because micro league wasn't like that, right? Yeah, yeah it was like smiley face, frowny face. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. You're right. I, I actually, I think I, I want to say when we did because we we used out of the park for micro league that last year in in 2001, the same year we did the the phone conference draft that we used out of the park. But we use we did that all micro league style with the scouting sheets and everyone just drafting off the statistics. But because oh. because it was using the game engine, um, I remember occasionally like I think didn't you have Todd Helton or something? And you were like wondering why Todd Helton had like two home runs in forty games, and it was uh-huh. uh, it was because like he's like what is this? Because in real life he had like fifty home runs right in in a, in a full season. So he should have been mashing. And I remember, I distinctly remember like, oh yeah, there's this, I don't know what this power like five means, but it doesn't matter. We'll just go, we go off the stats. (laughs) Slight oversight. So so that might've explained that. (laughs) Oh my God. Do we want to talk any more about uh, swoops? Uh, Glenn mentioned Carl Erskine, actually 26th round. Yep. But again, it's kind of hard to call them swoops with, since we don't really have the uh, 
the, you know, the stats in front of us, unless we're going off of like big names that kind of drop. Joe DiMaggio, 21st round. So that's interesting, right? He's old though, right? Joe yeah. freaking oh, yeah. DiMaggio, yeah. 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 Was yeah, it Satchel Paige in that draft? Um, I think like he was like round 50. Or no, he's at the Yeah, there somewhere. he is, Satchel Paige, 46th round, St. Louis. Round 46. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And he probably pitched like one year, half a year or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. It's really, it's interesting to look back. There's a ton of names here who like literally did nothing. Um, that were they were either old or they were stuck in the minors and and never got out. Uh, some classic names though, like Duffy Sternweiss and Stubby Overmeyer. Um, <laughs> How about Herm Waymeyer, round twenty? Herm Waymeyer, yeah, that guy. Donovan was, was good, round twenty four. I mean, there are some like real studs that like, I mean, again, Granny Hammer, round 22. I mean, there are just like, I mean, Hall of Fame guys, right? Lou Burdett, round 16 or whatever. 17. Yeah, yeah. Our Hall of Fame or? Yeah, 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 yeah. Our, yeah our Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah, our Hall of Fame. The one in Beachville. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Peanuts Laurie. I remember Peanuts Laurie. He might have been involved in the very first trade. I remember that Mark Allen, that guy, like, he, he wrote a lot of crazy articles too. It was like, um, uh, I think he wrote an article like just about peanuts, Larry. Somebody got him for peanuts. <laughs> yeah. No, I guess that I guess that wraps it up. I don't, can't think of uh, unless anyone has any like like parting uh, parting thoughts. I think we 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 decided to break this up and actually talk about the '51 season uh, in its own episode because knowing us, we would kind of go off into stories and there's a lot to talk about once the season got started and lots of interesting stories and stuff. Um, but I, I do think a lot of like in some ways the the mold was cast for for a lot of teams uh, from this draft. Like notice we haven't talked anything about Detroit, um, and and I think Detroit much like the the New York it was the New York Gotham's, uh, which then which then became the Boston Federals. Yeah, both New York and Detroit were kind of mired in in the kind of the second division for most of the decade. Although Detroit had a couple of good years. Fifty round draft. That's 50 chances to get it right and get it wrong, right? So, again, a guy like Kaplan, who clearly had a, a plan, that gave him a huge advantage. So, I mean, dude, I mean, Ka yeah, so like you said, I mean, Kaplan accumulated a big edge, and he wrote it for six years, you know? Hate that guy. <laughs> exactly. You'll be happy to hear that. Yeah. I think uh, Glenn's comments sum it up nicely, so I think let's <laughs> tie a bow around this segment. Yeah, so uh, that... Uh... That concludes our discussion about the initial draft again. Uh, it's, it's sort of the jumping off point to, to uh, for us to discuss uh, some of the earlier years in the league, which we will do in future episodes. But uh, until we do those future episodes, thanks for listening, and here's Fake Baseball. <laughs>